Special thank you to our anonymous sponsor. This is uh, out of the state, someone who's been following the Shirim online. A very special thank you to Torah Anytime for continuing to post the Shirim. And he's sponsoring the Shir in honor of the, the weekly Shir that he appreciates. And also with gratitude to Rabbi Avi Wasser, an old friend of his. So whoever you are, thank you very much. Um, we have Shavuos coming up. Just a few days away, the holiday of receiving of the Torah. So I thought we'd discuss how can we get ready for the Yontif of Shavuos. The shir is entitled, Lost Without You. And I'd like to focus on the, the, the personal celebration of Shavuos that we all have the ability to tap into and also the national celebration of Shavuos as well. Rebelozer Menachem Manshach, he was the, the Godel Hador, the greatest of his generation. He was a Rosh Hashiv in Panovich in Eretz Yisrael. He was born in 1899 in Lithuania. 11 years old, he went to the Panovich Yeshiva. 1913, he went to Slobodka. He was only there for a brief time before World War I broke out. Then he found his way to learn under the grade of Isser Zalman Meltzer. And there he met Aaron Cutler, and they became very good friends. And eventually, he was offered the position to take over after Rameir Shapiro passed away in Chachmei Lublin. But he wasn't sure whether or not he should accept the offer. He consulted with the great Rav Chaim Ozer, and Rav Chaim Ozer said better not to take that job. Instead, he took the position of the Rosh Hashiva of Navardic. He was there for a short time. Eventually, he was invited to Panovich, and he was the Rosh Hashiva Panovich for many years. He has in the introduction to his Sefer, Avi Ezri, a brief biographical sketch where he speaks about his youth. I want to read to you just a couple of lines. This is Rav Shach writing in 1993. He says, when I was a, a young man, many, many years ago, I went through things that you can never picture. During the First World War, in the year Tufresh Ayin Dalid, that's 1914, that based on the, the, the decree of the government, all of the Jews had to leave Lithuania, where I was born. I don't know where my parents were. I was totally separated from my family. I had no way of connecting or communicating with them. And this is how I lived for many years. He was a boy of 10, 11, 12 years old, with no family. And he said, I went through so much pain and so much isolation. Of a Baruch Hashem, not based on anything that I did, only based on the chesed, the endless kindness of Hashem, I was somehow able to be where I am today, living in Eretz Yisrael, having this opportunity of teaching Torah in one of the elite yeshivas in the world. Here I am in the yeshiva HaKadosha, in yeshiva Panovich, 
And all I could do is strengthen myself and my own learning and focus on strengthening and encouraging others. I don't know what I did to get here, but Baruch Hashem, here I am today. The Gemara Psachim relates that Rav Yosef, whenever Shavuos would come around, he would make a huge feast, a huge celebration with his family. And he said, you have to celebrate today, this is my special day. Why is it my special personal yontif? Because if we didn't receive the Torah, he says, listen, Kama Yosef Ika There are many Yosefs in the Shuk. There are many random people out there by the name of Yosef. Only because we received the Torah more than 3,300 years ago, that gives me the ability to be Rav Yosef. That's a strange thing to say. Look at who I am now. It's only because we received the Torah and I've spent time learning Torah, now I'm a rabbi. Now I have this prestigious position. That's why he's celebrating Shavuos. So Rashi says an amazing thing. He wasn't, he wasn't haughty, he wasn't arrogant. But he's saying, because we received the Torah, Torah through the Torah, I've been elevated. Because that's what the Torah does to a person. So Rav Yosef was saying, when Shavuos rolls around, I have a special connection to Shavuos because I know full well that without the Torah in my life, without the Torah learning that's elevated me, I'd be just a regular guy. But now I have the Torah. Now my life has meaning. We all think back to, to the beginning of our own journey some of us were, were born into this world of frumkeit and religiosity. Others were not. Others were born into the world and left and then somehow came back. But we all have our own story. We all have our own journey. The fact that we're all sitting in this room today a few days before Shavuos learning Torah means that we're, we're interested. We have a thirst. We're, we're yearning for more. Shavuos before anything on a national level is a personal yontif, that I could just stand there, just me and Hashem, and say, thank you, HaKadosh Baruch Hu, for giving us the Torah, because now my life has meaning. Now I can be elevated. Now I could have a higher level of sensitivity, of menshelichkeit, of erlichkeit, of all the good Yiddish words you want to use, I could have all of that now, because I have the Torah. So before anything else, it's a personal celebration. What we're commemorating on Shavuos is the most pivotal, awesome, influential moment in human history. This is the day that Klal Yisrael stood together at the foot of the mountain and we experienced the national revelation. We experienced the only time in human history where the infinite creator of the universe actually communicated with us mortal human beings in an undeniable way, in a way that's penetrated the psyche and the soul of every human being on this planet for the last 3,000 years. The Rambam tells us that we don't believe in Moshe, we don't believe in the Torah because of any of the miracles that took place. The famous Rambam in the beginning of the 8th chapter of Yusuli HaTorah 
He says, we only believe in the veracity and the authenticity of the Torah based on one historical experience and nothing else. Because of Maimed Har Sinai, because of the experience, the national revelation of a Kaddish Baruch Hu speaking to the entire nation, that is undeniable, that takes our whole understanding of truth outside of mythology and brings it into history. This is the whole Amud, this is the pillar, this is the source of our faith. It goes back to this moment in time. Is there any particular mitzvah that we should remember the Mount Sinai experience? You would think, if this is the crucial point in human history, it's something we should try to relive, something we should try to remember. When it comes to Pesach, for example, we read in the Haggadah, that Bechol Dor Vador, Chayev Adam Liras, Atmo, Kiluhu Mitzrayim. In every generation, we have to view ourselves as if we're leaving Mitzrayim. We have, to, we have to envision ourselves leaving Mitzrayim with other millions of Jews. When it comes to the holiday of Sukkot, we have a very similar idea. The Torah tells us, the reason why you have a mitzvah to live in a sukkah for seven days is Laman Yedu Yisrael that you should know, you should remember that the Jewish people were surrounded by these supernatural clouds all throughout our journey in the desert. And we have to be thinking about that as we're sitting in the sukkah. So Pesach, we have to play a mind game with ourselves, feeling that we're leaving Mitzrayim. Sukkot, we're sitting in this little booth outside in our backyard, and we have to picture being surrounded by the supernatural clouds of glory. Do we find anything similar when it comes to Shavuos? Do we find any mitzvah we have to pretend we're standing at Mount Sinai? So many point to the, the Pasuk in Devarim, Parshas Veschanan. The Torah tells us, Source number five, You should be very careful, guard yourself. Lest you forget what your own eyes have seen. Don't allow this image to leave your mind or your heart. But rather, teach it to your children. What should you teach to them? What should you make sure to remember? The day that you stood by the foot of the mountain at Mount Sinai and had this national revelation. Remember that experience and teach it to your children. And the Ramban comes along and says, this is not just a nice thought. It's not just a suggestion. This is a mitzvah. One of the real instructions of the Torah is always remember that experience. The Rambam as well, in his famous Igeris Teman, when he writes the letter to the Yemenite community, we've spoken about parts of that letter in the past, we're going to leave the, uh, the whole story behind for now. But a very powerful letter that he wrote to the, uh, the leader of the Yemenite community, and there he quotes the same Pasuk, and he understands it like the Ramban, that there's a mitzvah, we have to remember Maimed Har Sinai, the experience at Sinai. So if indeed there is a mitzvah to remember what took place, and indeed that was the most important day of our lives, that was the pivotal moment in all of human history, 
We could ask a very basic question, all right, so like, when do we do that? What part of the, the daily ritual, what part of the weekly ritual, when do we have a time where we have a meditation to recall Maimed Har Sinai? So maybe it's on Shavuos. Maybe we're supposed to do that on Shavuos. But there's nothing in writing. We don't find any source that tells us there's a mitzvah to remember, or we have the Ramban and the Rambam telling us there is a mitzvah to remember, but we have no clue when and where do we do this. When does that happen? There's no mention that on Shavuos we have to remember Maimon Har Sinai. It's true that the Torah portion we read is Parshas Yisra. We read about what took place. But if a person misses the Torah reading, you're still Yotze, you're still fulfilling your obligation of celebrating Shavuos. That happens to be there is a Bach. The, uh, the Bach was one of the great commentators on the tour. And he speaks about the, the brachos we say before learning Torah. We know the first bracha is, Asher Torah. That it's a classic bracha you make before doing any mitzvah. Hashem, you've given us the mitzvah to toil in Torah. Then we have a second bracha. Asher We say, HaKadosh Baruch you've chosen us from all of the world. And you've given us your Torah. So the Bach's bothered by the question, what's this second bracha doing? Before the, the mitzvah of tefillin, mezuzah, tzitzis, anything else we do, you make a bracha on the mitzvah, and then you proceed to do the mitzvah. Why is it that when it comes to the learning of Torah, we have two brachas? So the Bach suggests, maybe it's based on the Ramban. Maybe the first bracha is like any classic bracha you say before doing a mitzvah. And the second one is a berchas shavach. It's a bracha thanking Hashem. And that's when we're supposed to envision, that's when we're supposed to remember standing at Har Sinai, when we say the bracha of Asher Bachar Banu. So according to the Bach, everything works out beautifully. It's true we have a mitzvah to remember the most influential experience of all human history. And we do that every single morning when we say the Berchas HaTorah. That works out beautifully. The problem is this Bach is not quoted when it comes down to Halacha Lemaisa. Practically speaking, just by a show of hands, how many of you have heard of this Bach before? How many of you have in mind when you're saying the second Berachah, Berchas HaTorah, Maimed Har Sinai? People don't know about it. And people don't know about it because it's not really part of mainstream halacha. So is there any other way that we're fulfilling this mitzvah that both according to the Ramban and the Rambam, it sounds like it's a mitzvah from the Torah, we have to remember this. Is there any other time of the day or week or year that we actually think of Maimed Har Sinai? That's question number one. Question number two is, the, uh, the Mishnah in Perkyovos quotes that exact same Pasuk, where the Torah says, don't forget, but it has a whole different understanding than the Ramban. The Mishnah says, we learn from here that you should never forget your learning. When you're learning Torah, learn it well, learn it with clarity. They once uh, asked Ravadi Yosef, 
anyone who's read any of, of the essays of the Chuvas from Bavadia, his, his Bikiyas, his vast knowledge in everything was just, it was shocking. He could quote or just rattle off 74 sources on one topic without looking it up on his shelf. So they asked him, do you have a photographic memory? How in the world do you remember everything so well? And his response was, I don't have a photographic memory. I'm sure he had a pretty good memory. <laughs> I'm sure there was some natural brilliance there as well. But he said, when I learn something the first time, I make sure to have such a crystal clear understanding of every aspect of what I'm absorbing so then it never leaves me. It's when you don't learn something that well the first time, then it's easy to forget it because you never really had it in the first place. So the Mishnah tells us that when the Torah says, Raki don't forget, it's not talking about standing at the foot of the mountain. It's talking about don't forget your Torah learning. So question number two is, what does the Pasuk mean? Is it telling us we have to remember Maimed Har Sinai? Or is it telling us, don't forget your Torah learning? What is the mitzvah? Third and last question. When Moshe Rabbeinu later on, this is his goodbye speech to Klal Yisrael, he's recounting the whole episode of standing at the mountain at Kadosh Baruch Hu, communicating with us. He says a line. He says that there was cloud on the mountain, there was fire, and there was a mighty voice. Kol gadol velo yosef. A great voice velo yosef. So the different ways to interpret that. But Unculus, who's the Aramaic translation, but also an interpretation of what's being said, Unculus explains lo yosef to mean it was a booming voice that never stopped. The coal, the, 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 the voice of God, so to speak, never stopped. What does that mean? And why is there no special mitzvah on Shavuos to commemorate this amazing experience? Pesach, we have matzah and moror and so many things. In Sukkot, we go outside and we have the, the Dalit mean, and we have so many different ways of, of keeping in focus what the holiday is about. On Shavuos, we have nothing of that sort. We know Shavuos is unique in the fact that we don't have any special mitzvahs. It's just yontif. You know, maybe a mitzvah is to eat cheesecake. But it's not officially a mitzvah. So to put things together, when, besides that second bracha, brachas Torah, do we actually fulfill the mitzvah of remembering standing at the mountain? Why on Shavuos do we, we don't have any particular mitzvah commemorating that time, in contrast to Pesach and Sukkot? We find no mention of recalling or remembering it like we do Pesach and Sukkot. What is this kol gadol v'lo yosef, this loud voice of Hashem that first emanated forth at Har Sinai but never stopped? What's that a reference to? And... Um, is the Pasuk telling us, remember Mount Sinai? Or is it saying, don't forget your learning, make up your mind? Which one is it? Rav Aaron Cutler was, uh, was born in Belarus, and he was orphaned at 10 years old. It's interesting that the Chazal tell us that 
Oftentimes, Yosemim, orphans, have potential to be greater in Torah than other people. And, and you see this played out throughout history. Ra'an Kala was, was orphaned when he was 10 years old and he was raised by his uncle. He wanted to go to the great yeshiva in Slobodka. We've mentioned in the past that he was friendly with Rav Yaakov Kamenetsky. And uh, his family who, who adopted him really didn't want him going to yeshiva. They knew he was a, a smart kid and they thought he would do well. He could be a mathematician. His, uh, his aunt wanted him to be a dentist. They had high aspirations for him. So he made a deal that I'll just go to Slobodka for a few weeks and then you'll come back and get me. He goes to Slobodka and immediately the author of Slobodka, Reb Natsen Finkel, he picks up on, on this special young man and um, he basically encourages him to accomplish as much as he possibly can. Within those three or four weeks, he wanted him to go through massive amounts of Torah. When his family came to get him, right, it was a wonderful stay, very similar to nowadays, you have a kid who goes up after high school and his parents are not fans of him going to yeshiva and learning, I want you to start the real world, you got to go to college right away. You know, you're, you're, you're already 17 years old, you got to do something with your life already, don't waste your time learning Torah and having a meaningful existence. So it's a similar thing. They come back, Okay, Aaron, come, time to go. And the altar of Slobodka says, I just want you to know that in his short time here, he has accomplished a veld. He's incredible. And this kid has potential to be great one day. If you're asking my advice, I would definitely encourage him to stay. And the response was, we're not asking your advice, thank you so much, <laughs> have a wonderful day. So he, he convinced the family, let's leave it up to Aram. Okay, whatever he wants to do, but I think there should be some level of autonomy choosing your direction in life. And that much they agreed to. And at that point, Aaron Cutler already realized that uh, he had capacity to accomplish a lot, and he chose to stay in Slobodka, and the rest is history. He, uh, he married the daughter of Rav Isser Zalman Meltzer, and uh, he took over part of the yeshiva. In 1939, he was, he was able to get out of Europe right before the war. And uh, he went to, originally to New York, Borough Park I think it was, and then in 1943 he started Lakewood, New Jersey. The, uh, the yeshiva there, based Medrash Kivoa. When he founded the yeshiva in 1943, he started with 15 Talmidim. By his passing, 1962, they had 250 Talmidim. And now, they're trying to come to Boca because there are too many people over there, right? Thousands and thousands of people learning all day. So, I'll share with you that I was bothered by these questions that I presented to you for years. And, and I had a particular approach. Um, but it's always hard when you're being creative, you want to make sure it has a valid source. And Baruch Hashem recently... I found this in the writings of Aaron Cutler, and he says this idea. I want to read to you a couple of lines. He says, Although we have two different interpretations, or so it seems, of what we're not supposed to forget, 
it's really all one idea. It's all one concept. Zechiras Matan Torah Maimed Harsinai Teluya Vaomedis Bezechiras Mishnaso. How do you remember Maimed Harsinai? How do we recall standing at the foot of the mountain? It's through the learning of Torah. What does the Pasuk mean? Kol Gadol Velo Yosef. It was a voice that was booming that never ceased. Explains of Aaron Kodler. Hareda Kol the Matan Torah. Kayam Vaomed B'Torah. That call, that voice of the Kaddish Baruch Hu, has been alive and well and vibrant ever since Maimed Har Sinai 3300 years ago. Where do we find that voice? That voice is in the Torah when we learn it. Remembering Maimed Har Sinai and learning with the clarity not to forget our learning, it's the same exact idea. The proof is, if you were to go to a class and they would teach you all about Jewish history, and they would talk about the leaving of Egypt, and the, the time in the desert, and the getting the Torah at Mount Sinai, but you never learned Torah before in your life. What connection would you have to Maimed Har Sinai? Well, I could remember it. You can't remember it because you're never living it. Why is it that when it comes to Pesach, we have to pretend we're leaving Mitzrayim? Why is it when it comes to Sukkot, we have to envision being surrounded by a Nane HaKavod, but we have nothing of the sort when it comes to, to Shavuos? The answer is very simple. The answer is, we don't have to remember anything. We don't have to pretend or imagine or envision anything because the learning itself that we do every day, it's not limited to Shavuos. The learning we do every day, that's our connection to Har Sinai. That creates this intimate bond between us and the Kaddish Baruch Hu. The learning is when we absorb the Kol Gadol V'lo Yosef. That's the power of learning Torah. That's why there are no special mitzvot on Shavuos. The Kliyakar spells this out. Hashem didn't want us to think, even for a moment, that Shavuos is the day we celebrate the Torah. Shavuos is the day we remember Maibet Har Sinai. Chas v'shalom. It's not about Shavuos. Shavuos, we do celebrate this was the anniversary of the standing by the mountain, and that's amazing. But it's every single day of our lives, not just during the Berchas Torah, but the learning of Torah, that's our connection with Har Sinai. And I wanted to share with you how this has played out throughout history. It's not just academic, it's not just conceptual, but this has really been the lifeblood of our nation and really the lifeblood of individuals throughout our history. I have no watch in front of me and therefore that's a very scary thing. I could keep on going for hours. <laughs> Mark Twain's famous quote in 1899 in Harper's Magazine. We're not going to have the whole quote because by now you've heard it 4,000 times. But just the end part of what he says... He says, the Jews saw them all, beat them all, and is now what he always was. Exhibiting no decadence, no infirmities of age, no weakening of his parts, no slowing of his energies, no dulling of his alert and aggressive mind. All things are mortal but the Jew. All other forces pass, but he remains. What is the secret to his immorality? Immortality. Immortality. <laughs> wow. <laughs> How did they get away with all this stuff? <laughs> what is the secret to his immortality? 
That's a question that was posed by Mark Twain, who was not a lover of Jews, if you know anything about Mark Twain. Rav Shach, we started off with, he was born that same year. The same year, 1899, when Twain penned his question, what's the secret of our immortality? Rav Shach was born, and he actually answers Mark Twain's question. And this is again in a different introduction he has to his Sefer Avi Ezri. He speaks about the time post-Holocaust, number 14. Betekufa Seinu, in our period in history, We've lived through all of the tochacha. When the Torah speaks about the atrocities and the calamities that will befall the Jewish people in the future, we, we saw that with our own eyes. There is not one household within the Jewish people that was not directly impacted by what took place during World War II. We only have a few of us left. We know numbers-wise, and numbers never do it justice. The idea of having 16 million Jews prior to the war and about 10 million Jews post the Holocaust. We're not even back to the numbers we had in pre-war Europe. Says Rav Shach, though, however, we have hope for the future. We see that although it's been so dark and so hard to understand and so confusing, but Hashem has been there guiding us and leading us through. What do we have left? What do we still have in our possession? The one thing we have is the Torah. It's true, you look around the world, and what he's saying when he's writing this, perhaps in the 1960s, is even more true nowadays. Whatever took place in Europe is not done with. It's not that all the Europeans suddenly changed their mind and now they've embraced us because the war is over. Hatred is growing. Where do we find the fulfillment of the Pasuk where Hashem tells us that no matter what happens to you, I'll always be there with you, and I'll never reject you. What do you mean? We've been rejected. Here's the answer, says Rav Shach. We still have the Sefer Torah. And if we have the Torah with us, then then we have everything. Am Yisrael chai v'kayam, the Jewish people we know will live and will survive and will endure. The Torah is nitzchiyas, the Torah is eternal, and therefore Klal Yisrael, the bearers of the Torah, were eternal as well. And therefore he concludes, I have faith in the future, I have faith in the future of our people, because we have the Torah. That's the answer to Mark Twain's question. What's the secret? The secret is the Torah. The Torah is eternal. The Jewish people are eternal. These are the words of David HaMelech. Lulei seroscha shashuai. If not for your Torah that I delight in, then I would be lost and totally impoverished. I would have nothing. I would have absolutely nothing. And the commentators explain that David HaMelech was, was writing... Without the Torah, 
that I'm able to learn and derive joy and pleasure from, I wouldn't be able to survive in life with all of the tragedies that I have to go through, with all of the, the, the stress that I have to endure. Those are the words uttered by David Melech, and we've seen those words really come to life throughout all of the centuries. David Melech himself, we've learned in Shmuel Aleph, when he was running away from Shaul, who was pursuing him, trying to kill him, there's one point in Perak Yudtes where he goes to Shmuel. Now, it doesn't really tell us what goes on. What's that conversation like between David and Shmuel? You could imagine Shmuel appoints Shul king years prior, two years prior. And, and now Shul is trying to kill David. What did they speak about that entire night? If I was David, I would just be there complaining and kvetching. I can't believe he's doing this. The, the guy is crazy. Why doesn't he just leave me alone? The Alkut Shimoni tells us that they were together the entire night learning Torah in depth. That's what Shmuel and David and Melech were doing. They were learning Torah in depth. Why were they doing that? They, uh, to distract themselves. Because they had nothing else to do. This was before they had the news or the internet. They had to find something to do. They were doing that because, as David and Melech writes himself into Hillim, Nafshi b'kapi tamid. My neshama is in my palm always. V'toroscha lo shechachti. And I will never forget your Torah. And according to Rashi, what those words mean is that even when I'm living b'sakonos nefashos, people are pursuing me and trying to kill me. Nonetheless, I focus on your Torah, Torah learning. That's where I find my salvation. That's where I find my chiyus, my life, is coming from my connection to you through your Torah. The stories of Rav Ochad and Wasserman during the Holocaust. There's one particular story that Rav Ochad got up and he clapped his hand on the bima and he told the, the yeshiva bachim who were with him, he said, we're standing in a situation right now where the future is undetermined. We don't know what's going to happen. I can't tell you what's happening around the corner. We have no clue. But there's one thing I can tell you, is that we have to strengthen our resolve in Torah learning. And you speak to anyone who was in those circles, in the yeshiva circles during World War II, of the few people who were actually with Rav and Wasserman who survived, and you just ask them, what were you guys doing all day? And the answer is always, we were just engrossed in learning. We were just learning Gemara. There was actually a Gemara found during World War II, after World War II. This is the Gemara of Rav Yaakov Hendler. And he writes in the beginning of Nadarim, he says that, I'm starting this Masechta now, and I'm so grateful, this is my second time going through Shas. I've already been through the entirety of the Talmud once, and now I get a chance to start again. And I hope Hashem enables me to continue to finish Shas. At the end of that Masechta, the end of Nadarim, he writes on the Gemara, he says, Baruch Hashem, I had the chance to finish the Masechta. We completed the tractate. But I do ask you, Hashem, for forgiveness for not learning it so well. And usually I would learn a blot a day, but based on everything, all of my surroundings, I wasn't able to. 
Rav Chaim Ozer, who was really the, the Gadol Hador in Europe, he was born in 1863 and died in 1940. And he was living in Vilna before the, the Nazis came that direction, and he was actually housing many of the yeshivas there in Vilna. He himself was known as a child not to forget anything. Anything he read or heard, he remembered automatically. And they tell stories about his brilliance, that he'd be in the middle of writing a complicated tshuva, but at the same time he could be having a conversation with you on an entirely different topic. At 22 years old, he takes over, his father-in-law passed away, and he takes over as the Rav of Vilna. Now Vilna was a city where you had many accomplished Talmud Chachamim. And here he is, 22 years old. So a person went up to Rav Chaim Ozer and said, How do you feel being so young and, and, and being the Rav of Vilna? And he said back in his brilliance, He says, I, I don't mind because youth is a passing blemish. I'll be okay. Youth is a passing blemish. Rav Chaim Ozer was very close with Rav Shach. Rav Shach was much younger. When Rav Shach was living in Vilna, his daughter Miriam Razel, who was 14 years old, was ill, and eventually she passed away. He was sitting shiva for her, and this is 1939-ish, and Rav Chaim Ozer is obviously extremely busy with all the community affairs and trying to get people into Vilna. But he came to the house of Rav Shach, who at the time was a young man, and uh, he sat there in the, in the shiva home. He was there for about a half an hour. Didn't say anything, but you could tell he was very, very distraught, very upset by the passing of Shach's daughter. He stood up to leave, and he said these words of David HaMelech to Rav Shach. All he said was, Lulei saroscha shashuai, ozavadati ba'ani, without your Torah, which is my simcha, which is my joy, then I'd be lost. All I could tell you is keep on learning, and through your learning you will be the manhig hador, you will be the leader of the generation. That was said almost as a prophecy to Rav Shach, who eventually was the Gadol Hador. But the, the words of advice, Lulei suroscha shashuoi, it's not just the bloodstream of Klal Yisrael, our Torah learning is our connection with Hashem, it's not just the, the, the vitality of the individual, we keep on pushing through the learning of Torah, it's the only way to survive, not just learning, but through jumping and delving into the learning and getting a geschmack, getting a simcha, getting a joy from it. Those of you who know Rav Yosef Kalter, Zecher Tzadik Levracha, he was the brother of Mrs. Meth. So I remember when he, was, when he was sick, we would often talk in Torah, and he would bring up ideas or insights that he had in Musr or, or Gemara. And at first, I, I almost I, I felt bad. I assumed that, oh, he's, he's doing this because he has to get his mind off of this terrible reality. But, but the more I had the opportunity to schmooze with him, I realized he, he's just living the life of David HaMelech. And, and he's, he's listening to the advice of Rav Chaim Ozer. Torah is not a distraction. It's the ultimate reality. It's the ultimate reality that gives us a broader vision and picture of life. To this point, Rav Shach himself was actually 
sitting on the yard side of his daughter decades later. And he had friends in Talmidim come in and he was speaking the praises of his daughter, Miriam Rezel. And he shared that story of Rechaim Moser coming to be Menachem Avel. And he shared the words of Rechaim Moser quoting that Pasuk of Lulei Sirascha. And he said, I think I understand what Rechaim Moser was telling me. Here's the, here's the marshal. If you're visiting two people in jail, and they're both sitting there in the jail cell, they both have the clothing on, one looks extremely depressed, and one has a smile on his face. What's the difference? They're both in the exact same place. Clearly, the guy who's not doing well, who has no hope, who has no future, he realizes he'll be here forever. The other fellow likely, he's leaving soon. He's not going to be here forever. And therefore, he doesn't have to fall prey. He doesn't have to crumble to the realities around him because he knows there's a broader reality, one of freedom when he leaves that jail. Explained Rav Shach, that was what Rav Chaim Moser was telling me. Lulei soroscha shashua, if you have the Torah in your life, not just it's on the shelf, not just it's a cultural association, but it's something we learn and we derive pleasure from, that broadens our horizons. I realize that whatever is happening here is temporary. Of course Rav Shach missed his daughter greatly, but it was a different level of pain. Without the Torah, without that connection to real Torah learning, a person could be totally floored and devastated by, by tragedy. A person can't pick himself up and move on because how could I possibly move on? My life is destroyed. It's only through having that connection with Torah we're able to move on. So I realized that when I was speaking to Rabbi Yosef Kalter, it wasn't a distraction. It was him tapping into the truth, a truth that gave him a broader vision that most of us don't have. I want to end with, uh, with something that Rav Chaim Ozer himself writes. And this is at the introduction to his Sefer, the Achiezer. It's a source number 16. This Sefer was published, I think, shortly after World War I. And it was a time of disarray. And he starts off by saying, I have mixed feelings publishing a Sefer at this point in time. On one hand, we look around us and we see there's destruction and Klal Yisrael is as unsure of what their future will be. It's almost like the building's on fire, but I'm in my apartment decorating with flowers. It just doesn't feel right that here I am publishing a Sefer. However, says Rechai Moser, the more I thought about it, the more I realized, second paragraph, that Zekoach Yisrael Sabel Elokov, this is our koach. This is our force. To Hashem l'terosu b'chol ha'doros in all the generations, b'chol ha'takufos v'zmanim in all the different times, gam ki shechorav chada ha'isa munachas al tzvarav, even when the sharp sword is against our neck, Torah Hashem ha'isa shashu of kol with the joy of Torah, nothing else makes a difference. And therefore, not only did I conclude that it's okay to publish my work right now, but this is the most important time to publish Torah. This is the lifeblood of Klal Yisrael. In his concluding paragraph, he says, what we see happening now, what we see transpiring around us, is something that we're, we're just 
We don't know what to make out of it. However, we also find Jews that are going to America. And they're going there for what purpose? They're going there for their brothers who are drowning in the, in the shores of America without any Torah, without any authentic Judaism. They have nothing. To save them and to breathe life into them. So we have Jews doing amazing things. And it could very well be, he says almost as a prophecy as well, that there in America, although when he was talking, America was nothing. It was a wasteland. There was no, there was no major yeshivas there. There was nothing going on. <coughs> he says, Ulai, perhaps, the Gedolei HaTorah, the great people of Torah, will emerge from there one day. And I have hope for this, that America will be a place of Torah learning. Asher HaMayan HaYotzi Mikodesh HaKadoshim, the wellspring that goes out from the holiest of holies, <coughs> that's the living Torah. It will establish itself and spread new paths to be able to support our nation wherever they may be. So the idea of Lule Suroscha Shashuai, that was the, the only way to survive throughout history, having that love, having that joy of Torah. What does that mean practically for us? I think it depends who we are. If we have learning opportunities, if that means coming to Shiurim, if that means having a chavrusa, getting a commitment, making sure to have accountability for my, for my learning, we have to do more of it. We have to find more shiurim, we have to be consistent, we have to get a chavrusa, and if I don't show up, have him yell at me. There has to be a reason to be there. <coughs> if it means I'm supporting my husband and his learning, and I'm encouraging him to go out, even though sometimes it's extremely difficult and there's so much to get done, I can't sacrifice myself too much, I have to know who I am and what I need. But if we're the supporting role, we have to push in a healthy way without resentment. We don't want him to start thinking that we're his mashkiach, but we, we want to encourage people who can learn. If it's our children, if it's our spouse, if it's women coming to more shirim, if it's women getting together and having more learning opportunities, the more we could attach ourselves to Torah, it's not just the more we know, but we, we get pleasure from the Torah, and it's that pleasure itself that keeps us grounded, but it also gives us the broader vision. There are no special mitzvahs on Shavuos. There are nothing we do differently. We have a mitzvah to remember Maimed Har Sinai every single day. The way we do that is obviously we teach it to our children and we teach it in the schools. But more importantly, we have that visceral, emotional connection to Maimed Har Sinai by learning Torah and deriving pleasure from that learning. We should be zochet to have a joyful and a meaningful yontif.